0: My name is Chris, and I'm a drunk. Hi, Chris. I've got a God-given dry date, August 9th of 1987. And uh, I want to thank you for uh, asking me to come and speak uh, to you. It's an honor to be asked to do anything in Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, but it's, a, it's a special privilege to be asked to uh, uh, speak at this group, uh, because I owe a lot to, of my sobriety to this group. Um, and um my wife sends her regards. She has to get up at 4.30 in the morning, so she's not here today with us. And I thank my friend Stacy for coming and supporting me. She's done a lot of that over the years. And I've uh, uh, just been having a hard time figuring out what I'm going to say and getting started. Uh, I've been thinking about a lot of things over the last week, and uh, I thought I knew what I was going to talk about. And uh, today, I don't have the slightest idea. (laughs) But uh, um, I guess I ought to tell you why uh, it's such a privilege to speak in front of this group. Uh, I spoke here, uh, I guess, about almost six years ago, and uh, um, after the meeting, went out with uh, some of the people here. And I got to uh, uh, understand and to, and to hear how this group got started and how uh, uh, a small group of people got together and developed those principles uh, uh, for how this group was, was going to operate and uh, what its purpose was. And a couple of years later, uh, uh, when we decided to start a new group in Denton, uh, I, thought of, I thought of this group. And uh, we borrowed the uh, format for our meeting from the Big Book group, uh, but we uh, took a little bit of the spirit of this group into ours. And uh, before we uh, held our first meeting, we got together, and Stacy was there, and uh, we uh, (coughs) attempted to establish the principles for our group, you know, uh, Sure, every group has a purpose, you know, to carry the message to the alcoholic. Uh, but I think a, a, a well-structured and purposeful group has a lot more than just that. And uh, we initially started off to be a non-smoking group. and uh, But uh, we wanted more than that for our group, you know. And uh, as a result of that, uh, we have a, a well-purposeful group that... Uh, Really goes about the business of uh, helping people get sober. And uh, we're, uh, <clears throat> it's kind of funny. We, we, we have two meetings, uh, and you're welcome at any time. We meet at the First Baptist Church on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 6 p.m. And uh, uh, we're a, a small little group, uh, but we uh, give to, uh, we pay our rent, we give the general service to intergroup, to the district. Uh, we uh, uh, take meetings to two treatment centers in the area. We have we're represented at the district level, and, uh, and it's getting real bad. Uh, we start at 6 o'clock, and uh, if you're not there before 10 after 5, there's nothing to do. Uh, you, you, I mean, you almost have to break somebody's leg on the way into the room to, to get to, be a, to, to do something of service. I mean, that's the kind of group we have. And that's the same thing that I saw in this group, you know. And it, it says somewhere in the book about uh, uh, God showing us uh, uh, how to create the fellowship we crave, you know. And I knew immediately when I came to this group that there was something here that I, that I wanted and uh, tried to duplicate it in our own little way up there in Denton. Uh, so I'm eternally grateful for this group, and uh, I guess now that means I've got to get started.
1: <laughs> mm.
0: uh, a couple months ago, I was at a, a, a funeral for a, a dear friend to some of the people in this room, uh, uh, one of my uh, heroes, uh, a, a very strong uh, member of Al-Anon, Linda Lamphere, and uh, uh, at the... Uh, Something that caught me when one of the preachers was giving his, his talk about her, he talked about uh how much she worked at being a good person and understanding people and trying to be helpful and uh for uh finding purpose and meaning and understanding to her life. You know, and that's that's how every one of my heroes has been like that. Uh uh probably the the three greatest heroes in my life are uh, my father and a guy named Jack clayter and uh Linda and I think uh why those people stand out is because not only did I see them uh live their life with respect and dignity and kindness and love, but I saw them face death in the same way and uh, uh, i mean <clears throat> I remember when Linda first got cancer the first time. And you'd go to the hospital room, and she'd end up cheering you up, you know. And uh, it was the same thing this last time. And uh, she had a, a sense of, of understanding of herself, a uh, understanding of how much God loved her, and uh, that that love overflowed from her out to other people. And uh, she knew exactly where she was going, you know. And I used to think that, you know, you stayed sober for a certain while, Uh, and, uh, that stuff just automatically came to it, to people. You know, that, uh, if you're sober for a while and you're, if you're a lucky one or something to have some kind of spiritual thing going on inside you, that you could truly, um, live life as a a loose garment. And, uh, that's not the truth. Uh, and, uh, it's taken me a, a long time to see that, that, uh if I'm going to have meaning and, and happiness and uh, and purpose to life, if I'm going to uh, have good relationships with the people around me, that it takes a lot of work. And, uh, and I, I wouldn't have known where to get started if it wasn't for the program Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I came from a, a good home. I came from a... a a family that loved God and loved my and loved us, and they showed that in the way they they treated us. And uh, but I don't know, there was something wrong with me. You know, uh, I can remember being a little kid, and there'd be a party or something at the house, and uh, everybody'd be having a good time and everything. And well, you know, it was all right. But it always seemed like there was something missing, you know. You know, and I'd, uh, I'd walk around, you know, thinking, you know, is this it? You know, it's got to be something better than this. And uh, um, I think I was a, a twisted person from from the get-go. Uh, I, was, I don't remember this, but uh, it's been told to me. I was about two and a half years old, and. Uh, The family was taking a Sunday drive through the country, and uh, my mother and father are pointing at this and that, and look at that, and you see the cows, and um, I'm sitting in the back seat saying, yes, 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 and uh, I was looking out the wrong window. There were no cows where I was looking, (laughs) and uh, my family found out that I was just about legally blind, you know, and so... You know, here I was, I was two and a half years old, and I was already lying to feel like, to make myself feel like I was a part of it, you know? Uh, uh, And I, you know, I was raised in a a, a good religious home, and uh, like I said, and I don't know if it was my conception of God when I was a kid, if I saw him as Santa Claus or something, I don't know, but it's for some reason um, either I asked for something and he didn't produce or or something happened where I uh, at an early age uh, came to believe that, uh, yeah, maybe there was a God, but uh, he don't much care for me. And uh, by the time I was 15 or 16 years old, I'd come to the conclusion that God didn't exist and I had proof. Um, but uh, there was um, both my, my parents drank and uh, they drank responsibly and uh, not very often but uh, we would have uh, wine on Sundays at dinner, and uh, if we were having seafood or something, we might get a little beer or something like that. And uh, um, it never affected me one way or the other until I was about six years old. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, And I got a cold, and my mother made me a hot toddy. And I can... I can see it as if it was yesterday, you know, the tea. And uh she had a, a bottle of rock and rye, and it had the fruit floating in it and the rock candy and stuff like that, that amber fluid. And it just looked marvelous, you know. And <laughs> uh, she gave me a little bit of that uh, uh a couple days in a row. And, you know, I didn't get loaded. I didn't... Uh, uh, feel any kind of immediate change or get a buzz or anything. But it did something for me because from that day on, I started fixing myself drinks every day. And uh, I did that as long as I could until I got caught. And uh, um, and when you have two parents that don't drink a lot, it's kind of hard to... to uh, eventually it runs out. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I got caught and uh, uh, that curtailed my drinking for a good while. Uh, and uh, uh, but I would drink anytime I had a chance. Uh, we were always stealing beer from each other's parents' basement and stuff like that, and, and drinking it and stuff. And uh, for my 15th birthday, I got a a, a draft <coughs> card and a. a driver's license that said I was 21 and I was home free and uh, I immediately started blacking out and stuff like that and having problems wrecking cars and uh, I was thinking the other day I got home one night and it was winter time and there was about six foot of snow on the ground and they <laughs> tossed me out of the car and uh, um, I remember stumbling around and everything, and then my, and I don't know how long I was out there, but eventually my family, parents came out, they heard all the racket and found me crawling around in the bushes looking for the door, you know, and uh, I was blind, drunk in a blackout, and uh, uh, I drank like that every chance I got until uh, I turned 18, and I think when I turned 18, that's when I... Crossed over that line into uh, alcoholism. And uh, because from that day on, I drank every day except for there was a, a period one time where I I didn't have anything to drink for two days. But I, I drank every day and most of the days until a blackout, uh, until I sobered up. And uh, uh, I had problems from the very beginning. I can remember. Well, I don't remember, actually, but uh, uh, it was around 1970, and I was either on the uh, west side of Cleveland or I was up in Toronto, and,
1: uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I was either sitting in a this uh, English pub up there in Canada, or I was in this bar in uh, Cleveland that sold shots for 25 cents a shot. And uh, uh, sitting there at the at the bar with my bud and he turned around to me and he says, "Uh, you're washed up, you can't drink anymore. And uh, I agreed with him and uh, bought the next round. And uh, later that night uh, I either Got arrested across town for a DWI, or I got woken out of a blackout in the King Williams Hotel, urinating on a stuffed wing chair. I don't remember. (laughs) Uh, I kind of missed the 60s, 70s, and most of the 80s uh, because I was drunk most of the time. Uh, But I. I graduated from high school and uh, uh, I didn't know what to do. Um, I did know that I didn't want to go to Vietnam uh, and fortunately I had a high enough draft uh, number that I didn't have to do that, but uh, uh, I went to college because uh, I'd been to school for 18 years and that's all I knew how to do. And I was scared to death to go out in the uh, in the world and, and and find my place and and everything. And uh, for a long time, I said that I I you know went to college to uh, avoid the draft, but I I didn't. I went because uh, uh, at least that was comfortable for me. And and I knew I could, or at least I thought I might be able to do it because I didn't do too good in school. Uh, I graduated with a 1.9 accumulative <laughs> uh, the, the, uh There were bets that I wouldn't live to see 16, and then they said maybe 17. And when I hit 21, they, pro- they said I'd probably live forever. And, uh, and that's the way I lived, too. And uh, uh, I went to college. It took me six years to get out. Uh, and uh, and I worked full time, I, I, I worked hard in uh, steel mills and foundries and construction uh, and uh, made a good living and drank every bit of it away. And, uh, um, you know, I, I, I always, I just wanted to be happy. I mean, that's all I ever wanted to be was happy and uh, never could seem to get there. Um, and, and I always thought that this will make me happy, or if, if I drive this car, if I'm with this woman, if I uh, work here, if I go there, uh, that uh, if I make this much money, that life will be great. And every time I reached one of those things, you know, it was good for a little while, but then it went sour. And, you know, and I'd you know, say, this ain't it either. And uh, uh, i I became a pretty despicable person uh I would do anything to uh to fulfill my my need for immediate gratification and that meant stealing If I felt like hitting somebody, I hit' them. you know if I wanted something that belongs to somebody else, I took it you know i had uh, I'd put the moves on my best friends' wives and girlfriends, and uh, still I'd do anything to change the way I felt. And uh, uh, and I had morals, and and uh, and I was raised properly. But uh, uh, and and when I was young, there was a lot, a big long list of things that I would never do. And uh, by the time I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, there was very few things. And, uh, and I'd do that the first time and I'd have a lot of guilt and pain. And then, uh, the second or the third time, it just didn't matter anymore. And it was easy, you know, just like going to jail, you know, first time it was embarrassing and it was, uh, scary and everything, but after a while it didn't, you know, it was nothing. And, uh, um, I guess around 1980, a a lot of things happened. Um, I was, uh working as a, a parole officer, uh, up in Cleveland. Uh, I, uh, and I was hooking up my prostitutes with my friends and, you know, I was dealing drugs and, uh, uh most of the things that I was doing, they were, had been in jail for. And, uh, But I felt it was okay for me to do that because, you know, they were stupid. They got caught or, you know, some flimsy excuse. uh, And I didn't hardly work. uh, In the uh, wintertime, you usually found me in one of the gyms in town shooting hoop, uh, doing pickup basketball games. And in the summertime, I was playing tennis. And uh, uh, many a time, I called in for messages from the corner bar or from the bed because I couldn't get, I had trouble getting out of there in the morning. And, uh, but uh, life was getting real sticky. Uh, I got in this job as a as a, uh, a parole officer and I took my uh, secretary out for Christmas drinks and she got pregnant.
1: And... <laughs> <laughs> and uh,
0: And by the time this was known, I was uh, living with my boss, and she was married to somebody else. And uh, uh, a lot of my friends were dying left and right and getting thrown into prisons and stuff like that. And uh, I got a call from a friend, and uh, he said, "Uh, you ought to come to Dallas. Things are really booming here. And, uh, And I thought it was a good idea. Because I knew, you know, it was just a matter of time when they'd find me under some bridge dead with a couple uh, holes in my head. And uh, and besides, my boss really had spent a lot of time down in, in Texas and wanted to come too. So we packed everything up and uh, moved to, uh, we lived in Arlington for a couple months while we traveled all over the state. And... Uh, Eventually settled in Austin and got jobs and stuff. And uh, um, pretty soon that romance started getting a little sour. (laughs) Uh, 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 She liked to drink and she liked to party and stuff like that, but uh, not like me. You know, I was kind of on good behavior there for the first year or so. And... uh, uh, she got tired of being the designated driver, of uh, being the one that had to worry, of, you know, who was going to get, drive and get arrested, you know, and, uh, and uh, it was causing other problems in our relationship and stuff. And then uh, in uh, November of uh, 1981, uh, I got a call and uh, my father had been hit by a drunk driver and uh, was laying in a coma in a a hospital, and uh, I flew up to the Cleveland. It took me like 14 hours to fly up on some kind of milk run and stuff. And and that was the last time I saw him uh, until he died, and he stayed in a coma for a year. I just could not go and look at him. I couldn't uh, be of any help or or service to the rest of my family because uh I knew that uh, it just as well could have been me as that guy that killed him. And uh, what was uh, uh, a good man like him doing, laying in the hospital with his half his head gone in a coma and uh, uh, a piece of dirt like me walking around the earth. And uh, at that, any controls that I had had on my drinking went out the window. And uh, uh, I was on a suicide run or something. And uh, uh, eventually, the you know the lady I moved down here she threw me out. And we'd been pretty prosperous. We owned a couple houses and stuff like that. And uh, here I am. I've got two houses and and I'm sleeping on the, somebody's friend's couch. You know, and uh, and I did that for a, a about two years, and in, in between there, there was a couple times when uh, we got to be, got together and stuff, and I remember uh, my last uh, drunk Christmas, I was really trying to get in the big house, back in the big house and the big bed, you know, and uh, took her to, we went to this road trip to uh, Colorado, we went all over the place, and uh, uh I didn't get drunk the whole time, we were gone two weeks, and I didn't get drunk one time. I uh, drank a little wine with meals and stuff like that, uh, but I didn't get drunk the whole time, and I was miserable, and so was she, <laughs> uh, uh, because I couldn't, by this point, I couldn't manage in life without alcohol, and I was restless, irritable, and discontent. And uh, That didn't work, and uh, so I uh, I was back out of the house again. And then uh, in the uh, late summer of 1987, uh, life was just getting too tough. Uh, I'd known that I had a problem with alcohol for a long time, and uh, for the first time in my life I tried to do something about it on my own. And I, I remember getting up every morning and saying, I'm not, today I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to drink today. And by the end of the day, I always did. I always did. And uh, and the delusion that uh, it was still sex and drugs and rock and roll was smashed. I, mean, <laughs> I knew without a doubt that I was drinking because I had to and not because I wanted to or anything. And uh, it's getting harder and harder to get up, to go to work, to earn the buck, to buy the booze, and uh, and uh, the alcohol was affecting me uh, to where I knew that it was just a matter of time when I'd be unemployable. and uh, And that scared me more than anything because if I couldn't work, I didn't have any money. If I didn't have any money, I didn't have any booze. And I knew that from early on, that uh, drunks don't make good thieves. You always get caught because you're half drunk or, or or something when you're doing the crime. And I knew that if, if I did that, I'd be in jail. You know, uh, I was just a lousy thief because I was a bad drunk. And uh, I, uh, but I remember it was Aquafest was coming up in Austin. And they had this big party down on Town Lake and everything, and I decided that was a, a time for new life for me. You know, <laughs> uh, my problem. I I I looked. I took. I did an inventory of my life, and I realized that uh, by this time I was pretty much a stay-at-home, alone drunk. And I realized. I said, you know, you're not getting out enough. You're not participating in life. Maybe you're a little intellectually stunted, you know to get a library card and and uh, uh um, and I was also out of shape, so maybe I ought to join a gym or something like that and I did join the gym, and I remember uh, going to the uh, club to work out one day, and I was half drunk and real angry.
1: Yeah, I pulled out
0: my shoulder and I couldn't work out for six months, you know. and and I was gonna go to and I was gonna go to this Oka festival and participate. Well, I never made it there. I never made it there. Uh, I, um, one day it got pretty pretty bad, and I remember I I got a friend of mine to drive me up to Georgetown, Texas, and put myself in a hotel, and I was going to figure things out and I took a
1: <laughs>
0: and i took a, a a legal pad and a pen and a bottle of jack Daniels with me and uh I got drunk, I passed out, and I didn't put a word on the paper and uh, uh woke up with a, a terrible hangover and uh, uh but something was different that day and uh um, I actually it was a sunday it was a Sunday and I just sipped that day and uh somewhere in the evening, I decided that something that had had a change that uh life was just too hard i just it was just too hard i i'd given it the best shot i did i could i'd given it the best fight i i could and I lost out I was a total zero and uh i uh broke into uh, my uh, significant other's house. Well, it was my house, too, but she was living there, and I wasn't. But I broke in, to, and she was gone. And I remember I parked my car two blocks away so she wouldn't know I was there. Fine sound thinking. Um, <laughs> uh, and... Two o'clock in the morning or something, she came home and found me uh, rolled up in a, a fetal position uh, under the bed, crying my heart out. And uh, I, I, for the first time in my life, I, I, I told somebody that I couldn't take it anymore, that it was too hard and I needed help. And uh, she agreed to, to help me. And uh, I remember thinking, well, I ought to go get my car, and so I wouldn't got my tr- well, was truck, I went and got my truck, brought it back to the house, uh, reached under the seat one last time, and uh, took a, a swig off of that bottle, and that's my last drink, and uh, I guess, you know, I shook it out for three or four weeks on the, on the couch, she let me come back there and, and live there, uh, and after a couple of weeks, she suggested that maybe I ought to get some help and uh and i thought about it and uh i thought that was a good idea because something had changed you know i mean i was a daily blackout drinker and for some reason you know i'd gone 3 weeks without a, a drink almost 4 weeks without a drink and i knew that absolutely nothing had changed there was absolutely nothing different in in me and that uh I better grab on to whatever this was, and uh, so I started hunting out treatment centers, and uh, I found the one that, uh, and I interviewed them and everything, and I found the one that I thought was uh, uh, good enough to uh, to help me and stuff like that. And uh, I was things were getting real bad at work. I wrecked two tractor trailers, and uh, I smashed up a pickup, and they were finding. Beer bottles and whiskey bottles all over the place, and asking if I knew where they were coming from. <laughs> no, <Nope. laughs> and uh, and uh, I was afraid to ask them for time off to go in treatment. So uh, I decided that I would try to go through outpatient, and uh, I went and talked to the boss, and they agreed to to do that, and uh, I found out. Uh, a couple years later the the counselor that worked on me he said that uh, he really didn't think that i was make would make it he really didn't think I had enough up here to to uh do it but because of the fact that i'd managed to stay dry for three weeks, he was going to give me a shot and uh the thing that but and and i really need needed that outpatient treatment but uh the one thing that I got from them is when I was out there looking at all these treatment centers, every one of them said that as a part of their program you had to go to three AA meetings a week. And so I started going to three AA meetings, well I started going every day uh, to AA meetings. And for me at that point it was a stopgap measure until I got the answer from this treatment center, you know. and. Uh, it didn't take too long for me to figure out that uh, um, my sobriety was going to come through AA and nothing else. And I'm appreciative to, to uh, and, and glad that I had the opportunity to go through uh, treatment because I really needed it. I was a, a really a, a introverted, angry person, and. Uh, uh, I needed it a lot, and uh it took me a, I hear people say that their best day drinking, they wouldn't take their best day drinking over their worst day sober, and I'm going to tell you, if you hang around AA for about six months and only go to meetings, you don't know what hell is. <laughs> uh, that was the worst period in my life. It was worse than any other time I ever had drinking, to, uh, to be sober and to uh, have nothing to change the way I felt. And uh, um, I came in an atheist, and the first thing they started talking about was God. And I almost left AA because I, I knew that uh, I didn't believe in God. And uh, if that was a requirement for this program, that I dead meat. Uh, but there was an old, little old guy by, named Woody Deal, and he said, he used to get up at meetings and say, my name's Woody Be- Deal, and I'm an alcoholic, and I don't believe in any of this God crap, but I go to meetings and I help other alcoholics, and he'd been sober for four and a half years. And I said that if Woody can do it, maybe I could too, and uh, and I did. And Eventually things got hard enough, and uh, and my everyday was painful enough that uh, I got a sponsor and, and and started working the steps. And uh, uh, I think that pain has motivated me to do everything that I've ever done in Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, I came pretty close to drinking a lot of times in those first couple of years. And uh, uh, but fortunately for me, and thanks to God's grace, uh, every time I came up to a, a situation where it was either do this or get drunk, I did what I was told. I I prayed to some God I didn't believe in because that's what they told me to do. You know, I went to meetings, I uh, and slowly something started to change in me. And I remember... Uh, I don't know if I had, I don't think I had a sponsor yet, but uh, I remember feeling kind of different, and I, I remember grabbing a, one of the ladies from the club after a meeting and asking her if I could talk to her, and I started telling her how I was feeling, and uh, she called me a, a name that I can't repeat here, but she she said, uh, that's serenity. What I was feeling was serenity, and it was so foreign and weird to me that I didn't even know that it was a good thing. And uh, uh, she did me a great service. Uh, she lived right around the corner from the club and we went over there and, and she got me down on my knees and we did a third step right then and there. And uh, you know, I'd been using my unbelief in God for not Moving on to the other steps, and uh, the third step was gone, so I had no excuses. I mean, the way they explained it to me is to do the steps. Second step, all you got to know is you ain't God, and uh, to do the third step is is only to make a decision, and that's to work the the remainder of the steps. And so I, soon after that, I I got a sponsor, and uh, within the first year of sobriety, I. Uh, work the steps. And I remember thinking, uh, I remember one day waking up and realized that I'd been sober for six months and uh, I I not only realized that, but I realized that uh, uh, I wasn't craving a drink, that the uh, obsession had been removed a long time ago, but uh, uh, the fear was what was driving me and, and keeping me so upset all that time. And uh but I worked the steps and after a year I decided I'd stick around. That uh life was uh, uh better enough that it was worth sticking in this in this AA stuff and I continued to pray and I continued to this God I didn't believe and do all these other crazy things that people uh told me to do and I was a couple months shy of my second birthday, I started getting real antsy again, and I knew that if things didn't change, that I was going to have to pick up a drink. And I got this tape of this this guy, and uh, uh, I couldn't under—I had a, a long time before my brain cleared out, but uh, I remembered one thing that he said, and that was, uh, "You'll never be cured of your uh, alcoholism." Uh, Relieved of your alcoholism unless you know the nature of the disease, and he suggested you start at the the preface and work through the first four, read through the first four chapters until you know what it means to be an alcoholic. And I did that for about three month three or four months. You know, I'd start off at the beginning of the book and I might read a page, a paragraph, a chapter, or whatever, and I'd read through the fourth chapter and then I'd start all over again. And after about three months of that, I realized that if God didn't exist, I was in deep trouble, that I didn't have a a chance in the world of staying sober. And uh, I probably said my first honest prayer. And and I knew at that point that there was a God and that uh, I never had to be alone again. And Life could be happy and meaningful, and uh, life. You know, I was on a cloud for a couple years after that, and uh, then I started having those feelings again that there was something missing. And uh, um, three significant things happened. I was about four years sober. Three significant things happened. I quit smoking. Uh, I my sponsor was having a lot of health problems and so we started a, a non-smoking meeting that, uh, in my house that, uh, is still going today. Uh, they're called the Twisted Serpents and <laughs> it's kind of a, kind of a twist on Twisted Servants and uh, they've actually gotten a couple devil worshippers showing up at their meetings and stuff. <laughs> but, uh, We started this little group, and there was six or eight of us, and we met every week. And uh, we got so close to each other that uh, every one of us knew exactly what the other person was doing, what they were feeling. And uh, uh, I've never felt a fellowship that close, you know, before or after. And then the other thing was, I got invited to a a home Bible study, and. the only reason I really went there is because there's a lot of good-looking single women. Well, no, that's not exactly true. These people had something that I wanted. They had the, the gleam in the eye, and they were happy, and they were busy, and they had purpose and meaning to their lives and stuff like that. And uh it was just a bunch of, mostly a bunch of drunks that wanted to learn a little bit about Jesus. And there was no pressure to be... Saved or born again, or nothing, it was just to uh to learn a little bit more about uh jesus and uh in the course of a, of about a year, I absolutely fell head and over heels with jesus christ and uh that has probably been the biggest change in my sobriety uh to date and uh, uh I have never questioned uh whether I can be sober the rest of my life, i've never questioned uh, what's going to happen when this world is is over what i've never questioned the love and and uh, uh, the grace of God again and uh, and then uh, things were pretty good, and at about nine years sober, I started uh, I had a job that I was uh, picking up. I lost a couple good jobs and got fired. And I was, heck, got this job running around the state of Texas picking up people from prisons and taking them to halfway houses from a safe pee program. And it was a ball. You know, everybody that worked for the company was in recovery, and we drove around, picked up these convicts getting out of jail who were all drunks or addicts and listened to AA tapes and went to meetings all over and talked about AA and stuff. but And that was all great, but the bad part was I wasn't spending much time with my sponsor. And then shortly after that uh, I moved up here and uh, I had a, a sponsorship via email. And that doesn't work for me. Uh, I need Constant and direct supervision, <laughs> and, yeah. and, and it took and it took that experience uh, to, to know that, you know. Uh, and I got up here and I was lonely and uh, nobody I didn't fit in. Nobody liked me at the group and I didn't like them. And uh, I got hooked up with a newcomer and uh, you know that went well. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, but uh, it didn't work. But uh, I think that that woman was the first person that I was ever able to love unconditionally, and uh, let them go without clawing their back and chasing them all around town and stuff like that. And uh, uh, but life got crazy, and and I knew it was crazy, and I finally got myself a sponsor here in dallas, and uh um, he didn't tell me anything but uh he demonstrated how to live and uh um, you know I'd tell him what I was doing, and he said yeah 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 and, and but I saw him uh active in service active in his group and and uh and I started to do that stuff too and uh in a short time uh, uh, my sobriety turned around, and then uh, um, I haven't slept since, uh, but uh, another result of that failed relationship was I was sick and tired of settling for second best, you know, and taking the easy way out just to gratify myself and to to not have to feel alone or uh, uh, <coughs> And I decided that uh, I wasn't going to do that anymore. And I did a, a inventory, and uh, I came up with the, uh, the partner uh, of my dreams and uh, decided that I was never again going to settle for a second best. And uh, it was tough, you know, because there were lots of times when I was lonely and... Uh, Feeling sorry for myself and, and uh, horny, I mean, I was, <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, and I'm 10 years sober, and I'm 12 years sober, and I'm 13 years sober, and I'm saying, God, when's my turn? I've been a good AA, you know. I see these people coming in and they are sober for five minutes and they find the person of their dreams and they live happily ever after, you know. What's wrong with me? And uh, but I stuck to it, and uh, and uh, it took a couple years, and I, I finally found the, the right woman. And I think what was happening was that uh, I had this uh, person that I, I wanted to be uh, to be with, and it took me five years to become the kind of person that somebody like that would. Uh, be interested in, you know, that uh, I was, my goals were a lot higher up than I was, and I, and I really, I really needed to become a person that somebody like that would be, would be interested in, and that happened, and uh, uh, we were able to stay uh, celibate until we were married, and I learned that from a guy that used to come to this group. Uh, that he was able to do that. And I thought, well, if he can do it, maybe I can do that too. And uh, and it was difficult. And uh, we uh, studied the traditions, and we studied uh, uh, the Songs of Solomon, which uh, uh, it comes out of the B- the Bible, and it tells you how to pick your partner, how to date, how to fall in love, how to treat each other, how to grow old each other, how to fight, how to fight fairly you know, and uh, armed with those kinds of stuff, we uh, forged a relationship, and uh, it was a pretty good one, and we got married, it'll be two years in uh, on March the 9th, and uh, I thought I had it made, you know, I'd done all this work, and I'd arrived just like every other time in my life, but... Uh, the first year of marriage was the hardest thing I've ever done, and I thought being honest and developing a relationship with that person was hard. But living with them daily, uh, and uh, being honest and compassionate and uh, a good partner, and uh, applying the, the, the principles of this program and the, the traditions in my relationship about the unity of of, uh, of the. the the two of us as one being more important than her and I as individuals, and uh, uh, it's been a crazy, crazy year, and uh, it seems like it gets harder and harder. And I think that's because the uh, through inventories and and, uh, and uh, seeking God's will in my life and, and and direction and everything, I have a better understanding of myself than I than I ever did you know and I, when I got sober I thought there was a half dozen things wrong with me you know and now there's bushels I see bushels and uh, uh, but I I know without a doubt that uh, uh, God has the very best for me in, in store and it's just a matter of me trusting him enough and allowing him to demonstrate his uh, faithfulness in my life And he does it every time. And I fight it every time, too. Uh, This faith and, you know, I hear people say you can't have faith and fear in the same place and everything like that. And that's a lie. Uh, uh, I can have faith and fear. uh, But what I need is courage. And uh, that's what the the heroes in this program have taught me, the courage that... uh, Despite the the fear despite the, the the worry the uncertainty that I can uh, step forward uh, knowing that God will take care of me is uh, is the way is the way to live and uh, I'm about out of words and I want to thank you for inviting me and I hope to come back again.
2: And before we begin participation, I'd like to thank Chris for coming to speak for us tonight. Steve. Steve.
3: My name is Steve Diner, and I'm an alcoholic.
1: Hi,
3: Steve. It's Friday Day, August 24, 2001. And thanks, Chris, for coming out to speak for us. And welcome to all our visitors. And... It's been a good week this week, you know, I, I guess the thing I was thinking about just before the meeting was this idea of sponsorship and just the, you know, how much of a God deal it was for me that I came into a group that believes in strong sponsorship because I know that my MO was to come into AA and look good, get back with the wife, you know, show her I was doing something about my drinking and then, you know, fade away again. And, and you know, the idea of getting a sponsor just didn't make sense to me because, that required a lot of courage to go up and ask somebody, hey, will you help me out? You know, and, and, um, you know, my attitude was I'm not a people person and, and that, that won't work for me. You know, it might work for some of you guys, but my case is different and this is why. And, and I see that a lot now being in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I see a lot of guys come in and it always seems like they always pick one thing and say, you know, here's why I'm different, you know, and, and it seems like if you can get past that, if they're desperate enough and you can get past that, then, it seems to go much smoother after that anyway um again just this this idea of sponsorship you know at Tuesday night we took that meeting out to Wilmer you know and um and you know when we were talking that night, just just to see the guys you know afterwards, after we all shared our stories and then started opening it up for questions and answers, we get a guy that jumps out there and you know decides he 's going to do the same thing we did and just tell his story and uh, <laughs> you know the family wasn't real you know told him, "Hey, wait a minute, you know what are you doing what what 's your question and he says oh i don 't have a question. I was just doing what these guys were doing i 'm sorry, but then he continues on and he doesn't and and people start laughing, and he gets so mad. You know, he just turns bright red and, you know, talks about writing them all up and, you know, and then, you know, leaves the circle. It was just, but it was a disaster, you know. And I was like, man, if he only had a, a sponsor that could tell him, you know, break through his delusion. But, you know, it's easy to see it, you know, for me to see it in somebody else, but I can't see the delusion in myself. And that's, you know, I can guarantee you for me me to work through the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and do the things that I that my sponsor walked me through, I can guarantee I wouldn't have done it that way. You know, I just, I had no clue for that. I'm very grateful. Thanks.
4: Chris,
1: <clears throat> Chris
4: <clears throat> My name is Chris and I'm an alcoholic Hi,
1: Chris.
4: I've been sober since December 20th, 1988 uh, I was too was thinking of uh, Cornell It is a bright spot in the week um, For me, I was thinking back as to more of where I came from As far as um, the treatment center I was in over in Fort Worth and uh, all the different jails that I went to, you know, Richardson, Plano, um, Collin County, all these different ones. And, um, you know, I sat in rooms like what we go to in, at Cornell and, you know, guys like us from the Into Action Group came out and spoke to me and, you know, it was like in one ear right out the other, you know? And, um, I don't know. I, I don't know why I, I you know, I've been sober as long as I have or why I got this deal. Um, when I was a month from my 21st ber- 21st birthday, but, um, you know, a lot of gratitude comes to mind because I've seen, you know, guys that, you know, have to go out there and drink for just years and years and years and years and years, you know, wrecked families, and I mean, just just takes for a long time to come in, and I'm glad that um, it only took me a, a few short years, you know, and uh, to get in this deal, so thanks.
1: Rebecca. Rebecca,
5: Hi, my name's Rebecca. I'm an alcoholic. Hi. Rebecca. I've been sober since June 21st of 99. Boy, I'm like nervous. It's been a while since I've been up here. Um, I had a good week this week. Um, I've been thinking a lot about my program and and uh, what I need to do different, what I need to go back to, and you know, you get into a comfort zone, you know, and you go to go to meetings that you always go to. And, you know, I think I've I've recently been feeling like I need something more. You know, I haven't been sponsoring anybody for quite a while. Um, And there's a lot of girls that, you know, around my age at at the group that I try to be an example to. And, you know, I watch them and watch what they're doing. And they are doing pretty much exactly what I did when I first got sober, and that's just not drink. You know, and um, there's nothing I can do but be an example, you know, and hope that... um, they'll reach out. And it's, it's really hard because I want to work with, you know, new people. And every time I work with somebody new, it just lights a fire in me for Alcoholics Anonymous. And, um, I haven't had a lot of that recently. And I, I do take what opportunities I have, you know, after meetings at Richardson group, um, to talk to people. But anyway, I just, uh, you know, I love this, this group here. And, um, a lot of my program and the principles that I live by come come from what I learned here. And, you know, I've, been through, I guess, like the last eight months, kind of a new um, role change and adjustment to life. And it's been a struggle at times, working full time and getting up and going to work and, you know, doing that kind of thing and being responsible and not calling into work and being on time and those types of things that I learned here as well. And um, I don't know, I just, uh, I know that there's things that I need to do to maintain serenity, you know, and to um, be active in my recovery and not just sit in meetings and listen, you know. And I guess that's why I'm here tonight. Um, you know, I, I've, for the most part, uh, for a few years I acted, you know, I acted on emotions and I acted how I felt, you know. And, and then, you know, as I continued and I worked the program, and worked the steps, I didn't have to act the way I felt. And I guess lately I've been noticing that I that I have gotten back into that again, you know, kind of acting on emotion and feeling. And, um, you know, I, I know what what that get where that gets me. Self will run riot, you know. When I get into self will and running the show, things fall apart pretty quickly. And, um, you know, life's been good lately, and and work is <clears throat> fabulous. I'm blessed to, you know, do the job that I always dreamed of. You know, take care of kids, and there's so many blessings in that. Um, that I couldn't have done without Alcoholics Anonymous. honest. I recently got a, a sponsor that sponsored me when I was 19, um, when I was going in and out of the program for a couple of years. And she, she calls me on my stuff, and it's, it's a good thing. Um, for a while, I had a sponsor just to say I had a sponsor. And that was all she was. Who's your sponsor, Jessica? What do you do? Um, well, you know, we get together and we talk, you know, and that was about it. And that really just doesn't get me anywhere. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't further my program, you know, and... So anyway, I'm I'm glad to be here tonight and glad to see everybody. That's all I got.
3: Steve.
1: Steve.
2: I'm Steve Connor. I'm alcoholic. Hey, Steve. Sobriety date is February 16, 2004. And I've heard some of the guys talking about going out to Cornell this week and it's been a highlight of their week. And Cornell too was the highlight of my week because I was released on Monday. So <laughs> it's been a, uh, it's been a beautiful week and, uh, I'm glad to get out of there, but it's good to see, see some of the guys from there. They're still doing good. And, uh, for me, it's been a, uh, it's been an interesting week so far. I've had some things come up already. Uh, you know, I've been locked up for the last 13 months in and out of county jails and in Cornell and, uh, Immediately now, I've been back for about four days, and uh, I, uh, relationships are being a big problem. I had me a little date set up tonight, a little AA date. I thought tonight, and uh, as you can see, I'm by myself tonight. <laughs> my sponsor gave me some direction this morning and told me that that might not be a good idea since I've only been out for like four days, and I should probably concentrate more on my recovery than uh, on women. So uh, that's I'm taking, you know, I'm I at least. I can listen to that kind of stuff today, even though I don't want to all the time. It has to come first, and um, I'm just grateful to be here tonight. Got me to tell me the truth that I've been through. That can give me some good direction because uh, I need it. I'd be lost without people like you in places like this for me. to go. But, uh, I'm just grateful to be here. Thanks for letting me share. <laughs> Doug.
6: Thanks. My name is Doug Gibbs. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Doug. I've been sober since December 27th 1999. 1999. Chris, I'm looking forward to your talk. And it's good to see Chris and Rebecca, another Pierce High School person, by the way. It's half the room almost. And uh, and Steve, you know, that's what fires me up about Alcoholics Anonymous. It's stuff like that, you know, because that that meltdown, My I was ready to kill this guy sitting next to me going on and on and on and on and on and on. And on. And to watch him get sensitive and just, oh my God, have a fit. It's just, I need to see that because I forget that's that's me, um, getting mad at the boss or, or whomever and stomping out. And uh, you know, to to see a guy come from Cornell and and come out on a Monday and change his date and and you know to show up twice, you're better than ninety five percent of the guys that came before you. <laughs> Yeah, you beat the last four guys. I called me sponsor out of that place.
1: Um,
6: and yeah, and this week I've I've been doing a lot of of writing, and I've gotten some good sponsor direction on some things. And yeah, I've I've realized that I have taken back almost every aspect of my life. You know, slowly but surely. You talk about that comfort zone. I I was in a comfort zone, and I, I slowly but surely just started taking things back and taking things back and taking things back. And um, you know, it's it's amazing how quickly my my Mode can just be adjusted by uh, getting honest with my sponsor. You know, I'm only as clean as my one secret or whatever I think is a secret. So I am glad to be here. Thank you.
2: Chris.
7: I'm Chris McGinnis. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Hi. I've been sober. Since January 25th of 91, Chris, it's good to see you, and looking forward to your talk. Um, it's been a interesting, interesting week for me. It's been busy, and um, I really liked what the new guy had to say, and um, I just know how important it was for me to, when I got out of a halfway house or anywhere, was to get right into the AA meeting, and. Um, A lot of people don't do that, and we drift away real fast right after that. But um, that's how I stayed sober the last time, was just jumped right in the middle of AA. And, um, you know, um, it was our anniversary on Sunday, and the (laughs) ex-wife was right on time, called on our anniversary to discuss everything that she can discuss about child support, listening, everything. So, you know, I was so, (laughs) so angry. And, um, at that same time, um, I got a call from somebody in this program. And it's someone with a lot of years of sobriety. And, um, you know, God works those ways because, you know, she, she has experience with the next wife. And, uh, and you know, and I was in a, I was able to act right and you know um to calm down and to have um you know not act in the way I've acted in the past and um and then some alternate plans that maybe we can try when those situations come up but um the you know the good thing is that um I've learned uh, principles and I've got some decisions some hard decisions to make, and I was thinking how difficult decisions always have been for me. Either I just never get around to making it or I act on my feelings like you're talking about. I just act and and make a rash decision. And so I'm kind of, and I'm walking through some people with that, with some uh, direction and some, and a way to do it right, you know. Mm-hmm. And Because uh, I I think the longer I stay sober, the more I become uh, willing to listen and to follow what <coughs> the people before me, those that have what I want, you know. And... and um, and that gets me excited about Alcoholics Anonymous is to, um, see those people who are really working that program. Like a lot of people, you know, everybody's enthusiastic here and they're really working that program and living it and, um, been in the program long and a long, long time and, and, still come to the meetings. And, um, you know, and that just keeps me going. That just keeps me wanting to grow and move forward. So thanks. Glad to be here.
1: Chris. Chris!
8: <laughs> Chris Hatfield, alcoholic. <laughs> Bridesday dates February 10, 2003. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Second time I hit him, about did him in. <laughs> and for that, i <laughs> for that I'm about as grateful as I know how to be. Alcoholism is some six. some sick stuff it really is it's cunning it's it's very cunning and the experience I've had in the last two days it it shocked me it really did there's this little old lady that lives next door to us she passed away Thanks. I mean uh, Valentine's and uh, I've known her for the seven years I've been there talk to her every day She'd come outside and come over and get our dog and play with her. And uh the night before she passed away, I took her some fruit and some hot chocolate and stuff. It was cold outside. And uh the next morning, she passed away. And she didn't have any family, and all she has is an older sister. And she's like 80, 87 or 88, somewhere around there. And uh, I asked her if me and my other neighbor could help her clean the house out and stuff, help her clean up. And while we're in there cleaning out this house, she knows I'm an Alcoholics Anonymous. She's seen me in a suit and she's asked me where these meetings were and what all I, what I do. And, uh, I've told her my story. And I, I really never had an inkling that this lady was an alcoholic. I really didn't. She wasn't, you'd never known it. She was like grandma that everybody had, the great grandmother. Anyway, we're in here cleaning out this house and we start pulling these boxes out from under our bed and there's just old boxes and sacks and inside these boxes and sacks there's tequila bottles and there's vodka bottles and there's thunderbird bottles and pretty green ones. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I never realized it. I mean, it's, it, it, just, it just, it just stunned me. It really did. And, like today I was, re- I had a year sobriety last last week, and it still stunned me the way alcoholing is so cunning and baffling. I think I ran through 26 to 32 this morning. and I, I, I can't remember a thing I read. I mean, that's how alcoholism does the brain. And you drink too much, you lose a little, or maybe more than a little. <laughs> I th- I think I think alcoholics anonymous for sponsors or someone that, that is able and willing to tell me what I'm doing wrong and to give me some sort of discipline and correction and accountability for the things I do and that asks me what did you do today? What did you read this morning? And thank you
1: Mike.
9: Thanks, Danny. I'm Mike Erickson, alcoholic. Alright, everybody. July 19th, 87 is my Friday day. Now, I'm so glad to see my friend Chris here. We usually greet each other. You know, the Bible says greet your brother with a kiss. It really does say that, and we take that quite literally. Uh, Chris always greets me with a big sloppy kiss, and tonight we had to forego that opportunity so i'm kind of sad i got a little sickness and i didn't want to pass it on to him but uh i'm glad to see you here we've uh we're in the same class we're both from the class of 87 and there's not uh there's not a lot of our class still running around you know as a matter of fact probably if you're you know when 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 i got here in 87 there were a lot of new guys there's a we've got a class of 04 of which you're a part of you know and uh If you stay here any given amount of time, you're going to watch your class members just fall by the wayside. You're just going to watch them fall off by the wayside. You're going to watch most of them go that way. And that's the Chris talked about it. That's the tragic thing of alcoholism. It never goes away. It never goes away. It stays right here and gets stronger and healthier. I mean, Rebecca talked about it a little bit, of how quick it is to let the brain, whatever whatever feeds our peculiar mental twist, you know, Let's us just sit back and go, whatever I'm doing's okay. Or better yet, man, this is too much. And, uh, you know, I was uh in my prayer and meditation. It's been really sticking on me this week of of this idea of how clueless I really am about my defects of character. About how really how little I know about my state. Uh, and that I live in this delusion sometimes that I think I'm doing everything that an AA member should be, you know. That I'm really doing the, what the book says. And I go and I do a little more research and I find out, Jiminy Christmas, man. When's the last time I've done a 10-step inventory? When's the last time I really looked at my defects of character? When's the last time I really looked at where pride was running rampant in my life? When's the last time I really, you know, got back? And, and what I find is that, man, if I don't have a sponsor, I'm a dead man. Because alcohol is al- alcoholism is alive and well in me. It's alive and well. And it's just waiting for that little creek where the weakness is just enough to say, okay, we can do it and here's how. I can, I can drink this time and here's how I'm gonna do it. Or I can get away with it and nobody's gonna know. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you what, there seems to be a spiritual axiom in my life that what I give, I get back. And I think it's funny, it happens to you guys too. You know the benefit? I've been working with this guy for a long time and, uh, you know he's had some problems in in uh, in certain areas and uh, has just struggled and struggled and struggled with these problems and has not been willing to surrender to it yet. And man, this morning I get the phone call from, you're not going to believe what happened in my life. You know, and it's one of those, ooh, what you sow, you reap, huh, buddy? And it made me grateful. You know, it made me grateful first that I'm not him. That's one of the great things about sponsorship. It made me grateful that I am not him. <coughs> I don't want to be any of the guys I sponsor. Then again, I don't want to be my sponsor. Right? I want to be me. That's all. That's all. That's all today. That's not a bad way to walk through life. You know, I just want to be me. Um, but I'm grateful for the experience of, of, uh, of, see, by sponsoring, what it does is it points out my defects of character. It allows me to see me a little more clearly when I talk to you guys. It allows me to see, more, see myself more clearly and more objectively. And then I take those things because I still watch the mistakes you make and go, gee, many Christmas. I guess I'm doing a little bit of that too. And I end up taking it to my sponsor and clearing. You know, Doug talked about it. Clearing, the wreck, clearing it out. Living with a clean slate. Man, there's no, no better way to go than living with a clean slate. It's the most peaceful way to live. Just here's, here's me, deepest, darkest sins and everything. What do we do about it? Oh, okay, I'm willing to do whatever you ask me to do. Wow, what a great way to live. It's the freest way to live that I can think of. Okay, what do we do next? My, my grand sponsor says it all the time. He tells that to new guys. We watch him at the book study. He says, hey, i just got to learn th- one thing. There's only one question you got to learn. Okay, sponsor, where do we go next? And if you can master that one, well, it's you know, it's pretty much a downhill ride from there. So I'm glad to be here with you tonight. Thanks. Tim.
10: Yay! Thanks, Danny. I'm Tim Moore, alcoholic. Tim. And my sobriety is 14th, 1994. <coughs> and uh, thanks, Chris, for coming out. Looking forward to hearing you talk. And, um, boy, just to stay in kind of that same thing, a theme of what Chris and, and Mike was just talking about, is the kind of thing that I've seen this week is, you know, the fact that I – Good examples Nay, AA, you know, guys like my sponsor and his sponsor and the guys ahead of me on my sponsorship line. But the thing I've been learning lately this week is just the bad examples, you know, going into meetings and just hearing things, people going down that slippery slope that I've taken so many times. And this is a good one, you know, thinking that just because I've been sober for whatever period of time, that now I have more than two options. <coughs> You know, now that I have more than two options, either alcoholic death or spiritual life, that just because I've been here a while that I can just not drink. And if you're an alcoholic like me, like Mike just said, over any period of time, I get worse, never better. And that is true, you know, sober or not. And, uh you know, I've proven to myself time and time again, if I begin thinking this, then I'm running the show again, you know. And so each day has got to be a day when I surrender fresh and start over anew. And I have to keep coming back to meetings to remind myself of this kind of stuff. Because left to my own devices, I do start thinking this way, you know? So I've got to have all the examples and, and, and look and see that kind of thing. Um, and the other deal is what, you know, Victor and I are reading in the car on the way down here is this, is in uh, chapter two. It was talking about how, uh, you know, we, what we think was, uh, A flimsy read proves to be the loving and and powerful hand of God. And it reminded me of when I was new how I just thought that, you know, this was just something that wasn't really going to work. You know, I didn't really trust that it would work because I thought that I had tried it. And what it proved to be is, you know, God speaking through these meetings. You know, God speaking through my sponsor, speaking through the literature, and being able to see it and to hear it finally. But to me, that was just because I was desperate, you know, and I was willing finally to do whatever he... My sponsor asked of me, and I'm glad to be here. Looking forward to the rest of the meeting.